Blog Talk Radio. host and navigator Robert Batista, author of the seminal novel Brooklyn Story and powerful novella Carmela's Dream. The Funky Writer Show has been called the most informative, eclectic outlet for all wordsmiths and literati. Now celebrating seven years of dynamic Writers Talk Radio. Why is the Funky Writer Show so terrific? Because I am a writer just like my guests, and know that words are the breath of life. Connect with me on my exciting Twitter page by going to at the funky writer. We are proud and honored to have on our show the inspirational author, musician, counselor, and so much more, Lennon Honor. Welcome, Lennon Honor, to the Funky Writer Show. Well, greetings, brother. Good to be with you, Robert. I look forward to our conversation. Yes, you don't know how long I've been looking forward to this show. Lennon, again, so good having you on the Funky Writers Show. Let's start off by you giving our audience some background of your life's, your incredible life's journey and how you got to where you are today. Yes, well, there's been a lot of ups and downs, and uh, at this point, I'm, I'm a very happy, happily married man. Um, my wife and I, we've been together for 14 years. We have five beautiful children. The oldest is 11. Uh, the youngest is four, and we've been in a very blessed and positive relationship for the last 14 years. Um, getting to this point, there's been a lot of transitions, um, a lot of, um, I, I, I have to say, a lot of mistakes, <laughs> Uh, the beautiful thing about life, uh, especially as creative people, is that you always find creative ways of uh, getting back on track. And though right. uh, I wasn't necessarily raised in a, uh, a you know, wonderful uh, family institution when I was growing up as a child, I lived in an abusive home, uh, I was able ways um, to be able to get to the point where I'm at here today and establish this positive relationship and along the way write books. And uh, I'm also a musician. Um, amongst other things, but of course, my primary objective in life is to be the best man that I can be, the best husband I can be, and the best father that I can be. Yes, I've seen pictures of your beautiful family on your website, and uh, again, uh, a beautiful family. So 
Lennon, uh, there are so many topics to discuss, but I'd like to start off with your crowdfunding campaign for your NWA critical analysis documentary. How's that coming along? Oh, it's coming along very well. I want to thank everyone who has contributed thus far. Um, we have an ongoing Indiegogo campaign um, for my upcoming documentary, and um, I want to encourage everyone uh, to, at the very least, uh, head on over to Indiegogo.com uh, and type my name in, Lennon Honor, L-E-N-O-N-H, or in the search engine there. And my uh, documentary uh, outline and, you know, a full description of the documentary, there's also a video uh, that will appear that, that will describe what the main uh, thrust of the documentary is. And uh, like earlier you were talking about, I heard you talking about, you know, the power of words um, and the critical analysis is, is actually of NWA's lyrics, not so much the individuals and the personalities, but the lyrics themselves. Um, words have some serious power. They shape reality. Uh, they inform us about our lives. They, they can, we can use them to inform other people. Um, they can also construct ideas and notions in other people's minds. And so we have to be very careful about the words that we use, how we use them, and the context with, with, with uh, which we use them. And to take a critical look at the lyrical composition of NWA reveals some very fascinating things. I'll say here, uh, just right off the top, that the primary uh, theme based upon the lyrics in their music was the disrespect of women. Um, in their music, disrespect, the lyrical composition, disrespect of women takes place 553 times just on four albums. Someone may ask, well, how do I know that? Well, I went through each one of their four albums, and I went track by track, listened to every single song over and over again, and calculated what were the major themes and the words that were being repeated over and over again. Again, if power have words, and if um, the main themes that are presenting, presented inside a group's discography is the disrespect of women, well, how does that impact a person's reality, the young, impressionable boy who listens to NWA, the young, impressionable girl who listens to NWA? And that's just one example, the disrespect of women. Of course, there's a lot of violence, um, what people would call black-on-black -black crime, gun violence uh, promoted and also glorified in the lyrical composition. What, what type of an effect, as a critical question, what type of an effect would that type of programming through the use of words and language have on young, impressionable boys and girls? Critical questions that we should all ask. You know, it's amazing. I've been following this. I have, uh, I have sons who uh, were born and raised during that hip-hop era. I'm a little bit before then. I go back to... Um, Motown and, and Philly International, uh, but my few of my sons were raised in that hip-hop era, and I remember uh, Rap is the Light came up with um, uh, Rap uh, rap is the Light, uh, hip-hop, you don't stop, and rap was sort of like, you know, pretty cool and easy, and they were talking about dancing and fun and partying, and then all of a sudden, maybe it was the N.W.A., birth or whatever, and around that, around 1992, there seemed to be something that propelled something that, quote-unquote, was called gangster rap. And mm -hmm. it seems like the whole the whole thesis of, of rap and hip-hop went into a metamorphosis. Now, up front, Honor, why did you feel a need to produce this documentary in the first place, and why now? Well, right now is an important time because recently a biopic film was released um, 
titled Straight Out of Compton, which is a it's supposed to be a historical account of NWA. But if you actually read their biographies and you do the research, and I've been doing extensive research on NWA and other groups in the entertainment industry around that time, I grew up listening to NWA. Um, I think I was 12 when their first album came out. Uh, I think I, I heard it for the first time, I think, when I was 13. Um, uh, but when that movie came out, I really it, it made me ponder because I was thinking about why would this movie come out uh, at this point? Because it's like 20 years later, um, right? And I, or over 20 years later, and I thought about it, and what I, I figured was, wait a minute, what about the lyrics? What what was the message? And I kept thinking back in my mind, and I said, wait a minute, you know, there was some very negative and toxic positions um, within their discography, and that's when I realized that ultimately the the film as um, to glorify NWA was basically being used to indoctrinate the next generation into going back uh, into listening to NWA. So in other words, the film is, is a propaganda piece to paint NWA members in a particular light. And once the next generation goes and sees the movie, then they're going to be compelled to go back and listen to the music, the music that they weren't raised on, music that I was raised on. And I saw the actual effects taking place, ground zero growing up in Southern California. So I, I felt like it would be necessary and it would be important to put together a documentary that analyzes a lyrical composition for younger peoples in particular, so that if they do decide to go back and listen to NWA based upon the propaganda in the movie, that at least they will have the critical thinking skills to analyze what they're listening to, which I did not have and which a lot of brothers did not have at that time going back 20 years ago. And a lot of those brothers, I'm, just, I'm, I'm saying this from personal experience, and it's not that NWA's music made them do this, but it has an influence. A lot of those brothers ended up uh, headed in directions of criminality, um, also headed off in directions of the, um, uh, of the disrespect of women, but then also ended up subject to the prison industrial complex. Again, it's not that the lyrics made them do any of these things, but the influence over time. There's a cumulative effect. And that's why I feel like to do this documentary is very important because we do need to provide the tools for the next generation, should they go back and listen, so they can ask the critical questions. Is this music in, in my best interest? How they speak of women? Is it in my best interest? Is it in the best interest of my potential partner, my potential wife someday? Um, let me say this. In all of their music compositions, not once did they say, I love you. But they talked about the death and destruction, murder, and glorified the murder of African-American boys and girls. That tells you something. So for a movie to come out to glorify the group at this point, that's why it's necessary for us to do something that will give, especially younger people, the intellectual tools to, to engage in critical analysis should they go back and listen to the lyrics of N.W.A. Uh, I Something stood out alarmingly, what you just said, uh, hooking the next generation. So... Glorification. Glorification is a word you use to describe how, in your tedious research, you find that violence, drug use, sexual promiscuity, and misogyny are glorified in NWA's lyrics. And my first question is, were you shocked by all this? And if not, why not? When I was uh, 12, 13, I was not shocked by it. But that's because I was a boy. And I didn't have the intellectual aptitude to have an understanding about the implications of what that all means. But as a grown man, 39 years old, who has five children, high level of respect and lives an honorable life, I was shocked when I went back and listened to it. And part of, part of the shock was just uh, realizing um, how negative it was and coming to grips with the fact that I was programmed by the music by listening to it over and over again. That There's a... Um, 
I want people to come to grips with this truth. Anytime you listen to something and you repeat it and it's repeated over and over again, it can be a lie, uh, something, a lie that can be repeated over and over, at, over, and over again. At a certain point, it becomes the truth. And, and I just I, I was thinking about how many times I listened, um, how many times did I listened to a particular track. For instance, there was a track titled The Bitch is a Bitch. Um, how many times did I listen to that? How many times did I listen to a particular album of NWA? And if people think about it, the repetitive nature of listening over and over and over again, it becomes programming, and we begin to adopt whatever is being said over time. So I'm shocked in those regards because as a child, I didn't see it. You know, I, it's, it's almost like um, I was ignorant as to the implications of what I was listening to. And then later on in life, a lot of my, uh, you know, uh, African-American males are friends, what we used to call homies, when they started going off in very destructive directions. I remember we used to listen to the lyrics and, and, and listen to the, the, the uh, songs of NWA, and a lot of the behaviors that they were involved in was reflective of the very things that NWA was, was glorifying. And again, I'm not saying that if there's, a, there's a direct link. What I'm saying is that if you repeat negativity to someone and you repeat negative behavior, the disrespect of women, um, uh, references um, to violence. Violence, gun violence in particular, over and over again to a young, impressionable boy, and in many cases growing up in poverty, in many cases his father is not there to guide him, that is going to have an influence. And that's what's shocking about this. So we have people now, uh, 20 years later, who are being indoctrinated, younger people who are being indoctrinated, and that's why it's important for us to engage in the critical analysis and provide them with the intellectual tools that they can think beyond the childhood mentality and think as with the adulthood mentality, which deals with critical so let's talk bigger picture here, Lennon. NWA is but one of countless groups and individual performers, both male and female, in my opinion, that promote most of, if not all, this glorification. Now, and we also got to look at the movies, Boys in the Hood, yes. and, and a lot of the movies that came out during that time period. Um, is the reason why you're promoting your video uh, is because that uh, the movie straight out of Compton came out. Is is that why you're basically doing your thing to basically as an answer to the movie? Is that what you're saying? It's an it's an answer to the movie in in a sense of providing people, uh, younger folk with the critical thinking skills and the mechanisms through which they can engage in critical analysis of the of lyrical right. composition. However, it can be a to any musical genre, it can be applied to any group, it can be applied to any rap group, it can be applied to the uh, books that a person uh, reads, it can be applied to the movies that they watch or the television shows that they watch, because the idea right. is that a critical analysis, it can be applied to any given thing. So what that means is that you have to ask critical questions and you do your due diligence to understand exactly what it is that you're doing, you're reading, or you're listening to, and ask the critical question, what type of effect may this have? So on one hand, yes, it is a reaction to... Um, um, it's, it's almost like a defense um, a mechanism against the programming right. of the movie right. that is indoctrinating the next generation, but then understanding that the, that the tools that will be shared in the documentary can be applied to any given uh, media artifact, if you will. And let me say this, too, that um, during that time period, uh, you're right. It, it wasn't just NWA. What NWA did was they took the worst examples of African-American culture or things that were taking place, especially amongst uh, African-Americans who 
uh, poverty and what people would call the hood. And they, they, they took it and they made it an extreme. They turned it into entertainment. It's almost a characterization. It's not even necessarily rooted. It's a, 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 an accurate depiction of reality, but there, it does have its roots in reality. And it's not that these things didn't exist prior to NWA coming on the scene, but what they did was they glorified it and they turned it into entertainment. And no one had done it on that level before. Again, there were other um, rap artists, uh, as an example, um, Schooly D, uh, Ice-T, even BDP, Boogie Down Productions, their first album, Come On Minded, that was the precursor to gangster rap. But, of course, KRS-One went in a different direction. What NWA did was they took it to the next level. And then, of course, during that time period, you have this, a slew of movies that began to come out, Minister Society, Boys in the Hood. Um, right. There's another one I that, too, just for people to understand, the same critical thinking skills that can be applied to N.W.A. and the, the critical analysis can also be applied to those movies. So it, it, it's not just about N.W.A. It's about media artifacts that can have a destructive uh, impact on the psychological and emotional and relational development of young people. You know, I've heard stories for a long time about rappers who wanted to put out positive lyrics and messages. And they were negated and told that if they didn't adhere to the nigger bitch hold guns template, they couldn't get a record deal or airplay. Is this something that you've also come across, Lennon? Yes, absolutely. Uh, this was actually taking place within um, um, the it's, – it's been taking place in the entertainment industry to a great degree after NWA came onto the scene. In point of fact, um, one of the individuals who's participating in – the documentary, his name is Alonzo Williams, and he um, he's actually they actually have him in the movie. It's not him personally, but a representation of him, an actor plays him. Um, he was with the, um, the the group right now. But but uh, Dr. Dre was in his group prior to going over to Ruthless Records, um, prior to right. joining Easy e um, And one of the things he said, um, Alonzo Williams, was that after N.W.A. had a measure of success with their, especially in particular with their second album, that Alonzo Williams had a Alonzo Williams had a very difficult time pitching to the entertainment industry positive rap groups, positive, positive right. artists, because the entertainment industry recognized, you know, how they could generate money off of the gangster, you know, bitch hole uh, niggas, so forth and so on construct. Right, right. And as a consequence, um, uh, Alonzo he said he was shut out, and a lot of other artists were shut out who had more positive uh, messages. And um, that's the other thing in um, hip hop to a great degree prior to N.W.A. Uh, was more of a party music. It didn't mean that it didn't have elements that were that we can be critical exactly. of, but it was more party. Once NWA comes onto the scene, it's not about partying. It's about death, destruction, murder, disrespect of women, disrespect, uh, shooting each other, so forth and so on. And once it became profitable, a lot of the positive artists and groups um, began to be negated. They weren't provided with the same opportunities as the other right. artists who were coming with the, the, the negativity. In point of fact, Alonzo Williams, he talks about how um, there were positive groups and positive acts, rap groups, and in order to get into the entertainment street and actually have a chance, they changed their whole persona and became that gangster type. Of, I call it a gangster black, black face. You put on this persona of being gangster and you're all right from the hood and shooting. And that's how they were able to get uh, an opportunity um, to advance in the entertainment industry. And real quickly, another thing, words as messages. What about the record labels? You know, Death Row, Bad Boy, Murder, Inc., Okay, mm -hmm. what type of message that you says that just coincides with exactly everything that we're talking about that you're talking about? Yes, easy, easy. Uh, 
records. Um, again, these are all these also established negative racial stereotypes, in particular about African American males. This other thing that because I'm not just studying NWA, I'm studying the entertainment industry, and I've also gone back to minstrel shows, and then also I've been studying um, racist ideas and racial stereotypes about African American males, negative racial stereotypes, and you'll find that a right. lot of the negative racial stereotypes that were that have existed in the United States of America about African American males for centuries now um, were actually being displayed through NWA's lyrics. In other words, you know, that African-American males, they're beasts, you know, they're, they're immoral. Uh, they are right. quick to violence. They're quick to rage. They're out to murder. They're out to rape. Okay. And the reason why I'm saying that is because in NWA's lyrics, they actually glorify the rape of women. Literally, I'm not saying figuratively, if you can go and look at the lyrical analysis. So what I'm saying is that the, the, um, the record labels titles, Death Row, Murder, Inc., Ruthless Records, right. this is indicative of the demonization of African-American males, which is based upon longstanding negative racial stereotypes that have been, that have been uh, upheld here in the United States of America, uh, America about African-American males. So this is another aspect that people have to really take a critical look at. So let's, let's bring it home. With all of the black-on-black -black killings that we are seeing in places like Chicago, where I read yesterday that a person is shot every two and a half hours, and it's called Chirac in some quarters. Would you say that there is a distinct correlation from the quote-unquote NWA music and lyrics and this tragic reality among the youths of color today? Yes, and I say that because of the commutative effect. In other words, what NWA did in terms of the entertainment industry and how it transformed rap or hip-hop and made it more uh, violent. In other words, it, it was really a display of uh, black on black. I can look at the lyrical composition. Um, it's cumulative. If you continue to pr promote that music, you get into death row, okay? And you get into death row's music. You get into the music of, of, of Tupac, okay? I know people, you got to really look critically and look at lyrical composition. I even outlined how the West Coast, East Coast beef, that is what you call set tripping. Set tripping deals with gang uh, sets tripping. Okay, in other words, right. uh, violence that is taking place. I want people to understand that the dynamics that begin to take shape in the entertainment industry in the aftermath, okay, of NWA is reflective of a buildup of death and destruction of African-American males, black-on-black -black crime, in the entertainment industry as entertainment. And what happens is if you continue to provide that entertainment over the years, then you have the next generation being raised in that type of an entertainment background. And as a consequence, murder rates will go up. And again, I'm not saying that the music makes anyone do anything. What I'm saying is that if you take a baby boy and, and he does not have a father in poverty, and there's drugs and there's alcohols and there's and there's very little moral compass. He does not value his life. He doesn't value the lives of his brothers. And then he's being raised with music that is glorifying the death and destruction of African-American boys through black on black crime, gun violence. That young boy will be more inclined to participate in that type of behavior later on. Okay, and so what I'm saying is that, yes, if you set up that type of in a dynamic, what you will have is exactly what you put in. And if you put in death and destruction and murder of African-American boys, then that's precisely what you're going to get out of the equation. It's amazing that you just talked about the so-called East Coast, West Coast beef we had back in the 90s, that the murders of Biggie Smalls, Tupac Shakur, and Jam Master Jay from Run DMC have never been solved up until this date. So, 
true. Let's talk about Lenin Honor the Person. Where did you grow up, and who are some of the authors you enjoyed reading as a young person? Yes, well, I grew up in, in uh, Southern California in San Diego, which was about two hours south of Los Angeles. Um, and growing up, I should say that when we talk about coming into a level of intellectual process, this didn't take place really until after I got out of college, um, right. which is staggering to me. But in terms of my early life, I was thinking about this uh, earlier today, or yes, I was thinking about this yesterday because someone had posted on my YouTube page, you know, what, you know, what made you get on this path, you know, to become who you are, a committed father, dedicated father, committed husband. And then I'm trying to help other males, in particular younger males, to get on that path, too. Um, right. what, what did it for you? What books were you reading? And, you know, one of the things, I just wanted to share this one book, okay, because I can go down a whole list. But this one book, I remember that when I was in 10th or the 11th, I think it was in 11th grade, um, a substitute teacher came, and, and they were going to be there for two weeks. And uh, it was a white woman, too, by the way. And, and she, she kind of took interest in me for some reason. It was a, it was a social studies class. And I remember one day she came and she brought this book and she walked over to my desk and she handed it to me. And I turned it over and it was the autobiography of Malcolm X. And right. I didn't understand why she gave me the book. She just gave me the book. She said, young man, read this book. And I remember I took it home and over the next two days or three days I read it and then I read it again. And I read it again. And the thing that really emoted, inspired me was how Malcolm came um, from a very troubled uh, life at, when, in his youth. And then when he became a young man, but then how he turned things around. And I just want people to understand that one dynamic, that as men, regardless of what we have gone through, and as boys, if you're younger, regardless of what you are going through, that you do have the power to become something great. So in my life, I have tried to live that example that was set by Malcolm, that regardless of my upbringing, my father was a drug addict, alcoholic, crack, that regardless of that, growing up in poverty, government cheese, uh, you know, uh, food stamps, all that, that regardless of right. that, that I could become something greater. So I would say that that particular book in particular, there's been so many, but that particular when I was a, a young uh, boy, still in high school, that that had a very transformative effect on my life. Lennon, besides your family, what male role models did you respect and look up to when you were coming up? Uh, there's a few people. One was my music teacher, James Newton. He became like a father figure when I was about six, 16 or 17, and I went to college and studied with him for five years. So he really helped me uh, in those regards. I also had a very uh, high respect for John Coltrane, because uh, here's another person who had these internal demons, and yet he was able to create um, some very powerful music. I, what comes to mind is a love supreme. I always looked at him as a model um, in terms of as a musician, um, there's been other people, too. There's people who have come along the way. I have to say this, too, but there have also been a lot of women who have taken me under their wing. I remember even in college, right. there were a couple of older uh, women who took me under uh, their wing and made sure that I stayed on the right path. And that's the thing, that it is a collective effort. Men and women have to participate in helping young uh, boys and young girls, for that matter, to become right. great. It's a collective effort. Right. Like you said, uh, it takes a village. Exactly. Yes, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I want to now talk about a book you published in 2013, the 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program. What is it about, and why did you feel a need to write this story? Yeah, so this is media analysis. I, I felt that it was necessary to dissect the implications of the trauma of September 11, 2001, which a lot of people have not looked at. We tend to look at other aspects of the event, but to look at the psychological implications, and one of the 
noticed uh, in my analysis of media was that every single year within the six weeks leading up to September 11th, um, the anniversary of September 11, 2001, and those six weeks leading up to September 11, you, we have these stories that come out in the news um, about terrorism, Al-Qaeda, Osama bin Laden. It's, now it's ISIS, um, potential terror threats. And I began to notice a pattern. And, I, and then I began to, and over the years, and I asked myself, why are these types of stories coming out? And what I realized was what mass media does as a tool of psychological warfare was triggering the trauma of September 11th every single year leading up to September 11th by issuing right. these types of stories. And people, you'll see it next year, it'll, it'll, come, it'll come again, uh, the same types of stories. And I wanted to provide people with that understanding that how media is using the fear that's associated with the event as a tool of psychological warfare by issuing these stories, but then also to give people the tools to reach beyond the initial trauma. So at the end of the book, I provide people with some steps that they can take uh, uh, to, in order to process the initial trauma of September 11, 2001, which most people have not done and is submerged with them. They're completely oblivious to it. But what media does in that people are oblivious to it, media uses it as a tool to kind of promote September 11 and get people riled up about around, around this notion of potential terror threats that never take place. Um, and as a consequence, triggers the trauma. Well, in terms of living a, a fulfilled life, we have to resolve those traumas, whether it's the traumas that take place in our childhood, the traumas that take place in our adulthood, whether it's being you know, abused by our parents or sexually molested, or whether it is September 11, 2001, we have to heal those traumas. So September, my book, this uh, 911 Fear-Based Mind Control Program, talks about that particular trauma of September 11, 2001, and how that particular trauma has been turned into a tool of psychological warfare, but then also how people can transcend and heal that initial trauma that is associated with September 11, 2001. Understood. Let's talk a bit about your other hat as a counselor and your private consultations that you offer. How does this work, and is there any topic you specialize in, or do you handle whatever comes to you? I handle whatever people are comfortable talking with me about. However, my specialty really deals delves into uh, male-female relationships. I'm also uh, single mothers who are raising sons. That's another another dynamic I, I tend to try my best to help people with. Um, and I do consultations over Skype, sometimes Skype, audio, Skype, video. Sometimes I do it over the phone. Um, it, it really, it's a service. And it really is, not only is it a service, it's, it's probably the best way that I'm able to help people. And I have people from all around the world uh, dealing with various different topics. Sometimes it's they're trying to figure out, you know, where their, what their life purpose is, what their goal, how am I going to achieve this particular goal? What is what is my career going to be? Sometimes it's, it's more personal stuff. You know, they're having struggles in their relationships. Maybe, you know, they're not sexually fulfilled in their relationship. Maybe they're dealing with infidelity in the relationship. Maybe they have children and the relationship isn't working with their partner. How do they proceed? All right, is it in their best interest to, in their children's best interest in their to try to work things out, or is it in their best interest to, to separate? Is it, if they do decide to separate, is it a complete separation, or is it a logistical separation? Just figuring these things right. out. Um, I think that people. T uh, one thing that we I think we should be doing more of is providing people with an opportunity to talk about the issues that they're dealing with, and then helping them to resolve those particular issues. We all have issues. Let's let's be clear. But not all of us have an outlet that we can go to to kind of express those issues and give, you know develop the clarity that we need to move forward. And one of the things that I pride myself on is to provide people with the clarity that they need to make the best choice that they can possibly make for themselves. And that's what my consultations are all about. In closing, of all the things that you've accomplished, Lennon, in your life, besides your children and family, what would you say you are the most proud of? I'm proud of the fact that 
despite my upbringing, I have become the man that I am. And despite the fact that I've become the man that I am, that I'm still committed to becoming something greater. That's what I'm proud about. Understood. So what's next for Lennon Honor? What other irons do you have in the fire coming up? Well, of course, there's a documentary. I'm also producing an album of music for the documentary. So that's another thing. I'm, I'm really excited about that. So it's not enough to, to analyze critically um, the lyrical content of NWA. I'm actually producing an album of music, um, a soundtrack for the documentary, but also specific songs that are in line with a positive messages, you know, um, positive male relationships, why it's important to respect women, why it's important to respect each other as African-American men. This is all the antithesis of what antithesis of what NWA promoted, why it's important for us to protect each other, you know, and not to abuse each other in any type of way. Um, forward to that as well. So in addition to the, the DVD that will be produced, there will also be a music album that will correlate to the actual documentary, and I'm looking forward to that. And of course, I have plenty of other books still yet to get done and more documentaries to come, I'm sure. Uh, it's an exciting time, and I'm thankful for that I have the support that I have from people, especially, and even including you, by the way, because this helps me to get my message out. But I also have to say that I'm thankful that my wife has been um, such a foundational uh, influence. She has remained steady through the good times and through the difficult times. And it, and without her, none of this would have been possible. None of it. You know, Lennon, I've been thinking about this one topic, and then I read something that Robert Stam did. It. He goes, once we understand as human beings the enormity of God's gift that gave us the being of human beings, we would act a lot differently and respect not only who we are, but respect everyone else. Um, contact information, Lennon. If people want to get a hold of you, I know you have a website that's fabulous, uh, LennonHonor.com. Uh, what other ways can they reach you or follow you or contact you? Sure, yeah. So LennonHonor.com. I also have another website, LennonHonorFilms.com. I'm on okay. YouTube. Un- I'm on YouTube under Lennon Honor, uh, Facebook under Lennon Honor, Twitter under Lennon Honor. Um, and then, of course, right now, um, the crowdfunding campaign on Indiegogo, uh, Indiegogo.com, I'm there too. You can go there, Indiegogo.com, head on over to the search engine there and type in my name, Lennon Honor, um, and all of the details will pop up. I post on Facebook too every single day, and throughout uh, the next, I think, the next 40-something days as I run this campaign, I will be posting on Facebook every single day as well. So people, please get in contact with me. With me. And if you need to speak with me directly, you can send me a private message, so forth and so on. This has been the Funky Writer Show with me, Robert Batista. I'm at, at author R. Batista on Twitter. You can find my ebooks on smashwords.com and my novels on amazon.com. My guest has been the multi gifted author, and let's not forget husband, father, and so much more, Lennon Honor. Make sure you visit his fantastic website. LennonHonor.com and feast your soul. Thank you so much, Lennon, for being a guest on the Funky Writers Show. My pleasure. Good talking with you. Peace. It was fantastic. Have a great day. Bye now.